Okay, well, we continue today through the book of Acts. If you've been journeying with us, we're studying through verse by verse through the entire book of Acts. And we pick it up again today in chapter um, 22. And my phone is going off, so that's not a good thing. It's reading itself. But we continue through in chapter 22. Before we do that, um, I want to encourage you men and wives, you can encourage um, your men as well to sign up for the men's retreat. Look, it's going to be a good time. Seth Ramirez is a great friend of ours. Um, he loves the Lord, and you'll be blessed by his teaching. Um, we're going to have, it's going to, it starts on Friday night, so Friday evening. Golfing is during the day. It's optional. So if you um, can, are working and you can't make it, that's no big deal at all. Um, it's $100. You can sign up by going to our website and register online there. And like Brad said, let us know if you have any questions or if you have any difficulty registering, and we can get help you out with that. But continuing on in Acts 22 this morning, we see that uh, Paul had journeyed to Jerusalem as, as we have been watching him and the leaders there in Jerusalem when he got there. Um, they, they told him to go into the temple, right, and to compete or excuse me, to complete this vow. He was to go in with some other guys there some, and to, sh- to show the Jews, to prove to them that he had not forsaken the Jewish law. There has been this rumor, Paul has been, been used by the Lord, has been going to the Gentiles, right? All these cities throughout what at that time is called Asia and, and planting these churches and the Lord is saving the Gentiles. And now he comes back to Jerusalem and this is the first thing that they say to him. Remember, Paul agrees and he goes into the temple and while he was, he is there and those uh, guys, he goes in with them to complete this vow. It says that, um, the Jews who were in the temple that they miss, they, uh, mistaken the guys who were with Paul to be Gentiles from a different city. And at that time, the Jews, they become angry, they become furious at Paul and they begin to start this riot. And the Romans, they have this, uh, the Antonio Fortress that is right there on the temple and they see this and they can't let any type of riot, any type of disorder come to be. So they immediately go down and they pull Paul back into the barracks and they um, are now taking him away. And that's where we pick it up in chapter, uh, at the end of chapter 21 where um, Steve was reading for us that Paul said, no, let me stop. Let me speak to this crowd. So that's the setting. That's the background. It's interesting that we see two compare, or a comparison here. You see a man and you see a mob. You see a man, Paul. You see a mob who is outraged at him. But it's interesting. We're going to ask ourselves a few questions this morning. The man that we see contrasted against the mob used to be part of the mob. Did you catch that in his testimony? We're going to look at that in a little bit more detail. So what was the difference? What took this man from once being part of the mob to them being so angry, so furious, so outraged at him? And then how, not only that, what what changed in Paul's life, but then how do we follow Paul's example to be the man who can stand and to speak the truth and love to the mob when they are angry at us? So let's jump into it. Verses uh, 1 through 21 in chapter 22. We're going to break that down here this morning. And we're going to see that Paul shares his testimony. Paul shares his testimony. And if we take a step back and if you look at what he's saying, what Paul is doing in sharing his testimony is he's giving the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's really what it is. How was he saved? Well, he was saved. He's going to show it was the gospel. It was the grace of God that saved him. Look again with me in verses 1 through 5. There we see, if you look, read through it again, as Steve read, Paul shares how he was like the Jews. You saw that he was telling them that he understands their culture, their religious background. And at one point in his life, he was just like the mob. In fact, he was part of it. He was angry at the Christians just like they are angry at him now for being a Christian. He was one of them. Notice in verse uh, 40 of chapter 21 that it says, Paul spoke to them in the Hebrew language. He was just bridging the gap. To them, he was an outsider. He was not a Jew. He begins to speak in their language. And, and did you notice that it catches their attention? They weren't expecting that. They weren't ready for it. All of a sudden, they get quiet. And they, what does this man have to say? And, and they begin to listen. And 
that had that impact. And notice he says that he was taught the Jewish law. And he even points out that he was taught by Gamaliel, who we know, uh, just reading through um, extra biblical resources, that Gamaliel being one of the most prestigious um, teachers of the law at that time. So he's saying, look, I, I, came, I was raised Jewish. I am Jewish. Not only that, but I know the law. Probably, in fact, just as good, if not better, than many of you. I was, I was the top of the top, the cream of the crop, he says. I was with the best of them. And then he even went on and he said that he had a zeal for God like them. See, not only, did I, not only was I raised like you, not only do I know the law like you, but this fire, this zeal, this passion that you're showing that is coming against me, that was me. I had that same zeal. And did you notice that Paul said, and he showed them how that zeal was lived out in his life. He said, I was so zealous. I was so zealous um, to kill Christians that I was going around and I was taking these letters and I was going and I was persecuting the church. That was me. Paul sharing his testimony, his background with these Jews. But notice again in verses 6 through 16, Paul encounters Christ. That's where he was, but then the Lord intervenes. Paul encounters Christ. We see there the grace of God in Paul's life. Did you notice that Paul says in verse 6, Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, Jesus, or excuse me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. So the Lord appears to Paul. And at that moment, this light, when God appears, when Jesus appears to Paul, did you notice what happened that Paul became blind? He couldn't see. Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked into the sun and you can't see? Or maybe um, if you were around someone who was welding, the last thing that you want to do is look into the, the light of, of that weld happening. You have to wear that mask that is completely dark. But Paul saw this, this light that blinded him, and he couldn't see anymore. was not able to see. And there, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but after the Lord blinded him, he saw a great light. Notice that the Lord told Paul to go to Damascus, where there he was to meet Ananias. And check it out in verse 14. Look at that again. What Paul, or excuse me, when he went and he met Ananias, Ananias is speaking to Paul and he says, then he, speaking of Ananias, said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will that, and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. Three specific aspects. He says, Paul, God has chosen you. God has come. God has intervened. God has blinded you, and you have been brought here today for this purpose. And it's a threefold. We see that to know His will. Now, in the book of Acts, that that word, that phrase, know His will, is mentioned um, two other places. In Acts chapter 3, verse 14, and then also in Acts chapter 7, verse 52. Now, if you go back and if you read the context and if you read where it's talking, what it's talking about, the full picture there of those two specific verses, it's this. The word is speaking, referring to the Jews killing Jesus Christ. See, knowing that Jesus is the Messiah, knowing that Jesus is the way to be, only way to be saved, they knew the will of God, but they rebelled against the will of God. So that's, that's the context that we see. So now he's saying, Ananias to Paul, Paul, God has revealed himself, God has done this, that you might know his will, meaning you might be saved. Not like previously the Jews who were rejecting Christ, you were that, but God has done this, God has come, God has shown himself, he's blinded you, that you might be saved, that you might see then he actually goes on to say that, right? He says that you might see the just one, meaning that you would see Jesus Christ as the Messiah for who he is. You would truly know that you would truly see who Jesus is and that you would hear the voice of his mouth. Meaning, um, hearing God, there's that idea, that concept um, of communing with God, right? There's that you're, you're back in, in fellowship. You're back in right relationship with God. 
as a result of what Jesus Christ has did. Now, this is an interesting... I want to sit here for a little bit and, and just think about this. Notice Paul was saved by becoming blind. He was saved by becoming blind. And if you go back and if you read through, as you're reading through the Gospels, do you know that one of the most common miracles that Jesus did was healing the blind? Healing the blind. Why is that? I don't think that it's a coincidence. See, blindness is a picture of how we think we see, but we truly don't. Right? How we think that we see. I, I, I can see. I can understand. I can see the world. I, I, I understand how things are. But even in that, even in what the Bible would uh, show us is our pride and our ignorance, we actually don't see. That's why blindness being healed is one of the most common miracles that Jesus performed. I love this example. If you've ever read it or if you haven't, uh, I'd encourage you to go back and do it this evening. Go and read John chapter 9. In John chapter 9 there, Jesus, he heals a blind man. And remember in that particular account... There's this blind man, and the disciples are with Jesus, and they ask him, uh, why is this man blind? Was it because he sinned, or was it because his parents sinned? And what did Jesus say to them? Jesus said, neither. Nay, you got it wrong. But that you might see the works of my Father in heaven who sent me. And remember, what did Jesus do at that moment? He went and he, he took a little bit of uh, like the dust, the dirt that from the ground, and he spit in it and he made mud. And what did he do? He then went to the blind man and he applied it to his eyes. He touched his eyes. And then he said, go and, and wash in the pool. And the actual word, the name of the pool means sent. Do you see the connection? He, he's saying, my father, neither this man nor his parents sinned. That's not what the blindness is from, but that you might see the one the works of my father who sent me go to the pool of the of, of the scent and there wash and when you do that you'll receive your sight and remember the man he went and he washed and he could see jesus healed his blindness but he you see it's compared in that the rest of that chapter as you look at it then there's the pharisees that come to him and they they say who healed you who healed you that you could see who healed you? And they, they weren't, not, not so much even concerned about the healing, but that it was done on the Sabbath, right? It had broken their law. Who healed you? And he said, Jesus Christ of Nazareth has, has healed, he healed me. And they, they said, well, this, who is this man? And, and remember that the, he goes on, and uh, I know that I'm not quoting it verse for verse, but you can go and read it. But he says that it was, um, he's a prophet. And they say, well, there's no way that he's a prophet. He wouldn't have broken the law. He wouldn't have healed on the Sabbath. That's against the Sabbath. There's no way. This man is a sinner speaking of Jesus. He's not of God because he couldn't have broken the Sabbath. And he said, well, I don't know. All I know is that I, I couldn't see that he touched me and, and I see. And, and they continue to push him. And, and, and the guy kind of gets a little bit sarcastic back with them. And he says, why are you asking all these questions? You go ask. Do you want to be his disciple too? And they get mad at him and they, they, they kick him out of, of the religious uh, communities there. They can no longer go into the temple. See, for that, there's that, that concept. The Pharisees, there was this man who was blind, who, who couldn't see, but he actually saw Jesus for who he was, the Messiah. The Pharisees who could see the religious folk of the time, they had it all, but yet they were blind. Interesting, I think one of the reasons, I love what one person said, he said it this way, in, in speaking of the blindness and Jesus healing him, and particularly in this account, that there's two aspects of it to see. There's this uh, part of it where there is an offense that had to happen. Think about it, for someone to come and to pick up dirt from the ground and to spit in it, and that's what turned it into mud, and then to put that muddy spit at someone else's bodily fluid on your eyes to be healed, that's a little bit offensive, isn't it? It's a little bit, uh, I don't know if I, that's like, okay, if it's going to heal me, but like, that's, that's humbling. Someone spit on my eyes? And you see, that's even the cross. For Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, the cross is offensive. The cross is humbling. To have, again, that bodily fluid, that spit put on your eyes is humbling. 
The cross humbles us. I can't save myself. But it's what Jesus has done for me. But not only that, did you notice that in this, and there's a point to all this, we're going to wrap it up at the end. This is going to come back to this. That um, it's also personal. Jesus didn't pull out uh, a, a jar of oil and put it before the man and take pour some of the oil and take it and then have more of the oil. No, that jar couldn't be passed around, but it had to be personal only for that man. And he had to be touched by Jesus Christ himself. So do you see that interesting fact? To see there's that there's we have to be humbled and then it also has to be personal. It has to be true for me. It has to happen. I need to be humbled, not just be in, in a church, not just be in a family maybe that are following Jesus but it has to be your true for you. And it has to be true for me. See, the Lord blinded Paul in his testimony. That's why Paul's saying this again. Paul had to be blinded that he might see who Jesus truly is. That he might be saved. And this might be some of you this morning even here. And I, and I don't want to kind of gloss by this, right? Because oftentimes there can be many who come to church They think they see, but they don't truly know who Jesus is. He's a religious man. He's a good historical figure. But have you been humbled? Have have I humbled myself at the cross? Have I realized that it's, it's not my own works? It's not my own salvation? And if that's us, I pray that the Lord would blind us that we might truly see this morning. But then Paul goes on. He said, this has happened for me. Look, I was a Pharisee. I was among you. I was persecuting the Christians just like you. But God appeared to me. God has blind, God blinded me and he saved me. He healed me. But then Paul doesn't stop there. He says, now it happened in verse 17 when I returned to Jerusalem and I was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and I saw him saying to me, make haste, hurry up, get out of Jerusalem quickly. For they will not receive your testimony concerning me. Essentially, Paul, when you go and you share your testimony, when you tell them of of the grace of God, of salvation in Jesus Christ, the Jews are not going to accept it. They won't have it. And so in verse 19, he says, So I, Paul, said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and I beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, it was I, I also was standing consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. So Paul's then saying, okay, I was saved and then the Lord, he commissioned me. He sent me. I had a mission. I had a call from God on my life. And he's sharing that. And Paul didn't even get to finish his testimony when he stepped on a landmine, didn't he? Because look at verse 22, he says, And they listened to him until this word. When he mentioned Gentiles, that God had sent him to the Gentiles, it was like, he, he just, he stepped on a, on, a, on a landmine that was right there and everything exploded. Have you ever had that happen in a conversation? Right, maybe it's at work or somebody that you're not that close to. Or maybe sometimes it does happen to those you're close to. You know that one thing that you can talk about that's just going to set them off, right? And there it is. Sometimes you can, we do it knowingly, kind of uh, maybe to poke fun at them or to have a good time with them. Or it's just a politics come up in conversation at work. And you're like, oh, I did not know that they had that stance and I did not know that they felt that way. And I just stepped on a landmine. Now I'm in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> Many hot topics. And it's everywhere today. It's everywhere in society. You see these two sides divided. You see these landmines that people um, plant and that people are exploding over all the time. This explosion that happens among the people. But I don't want to glance by this too quickly. Paul, in sharing his testimony, even as he was going, did you notice that Paul was completely honest about his past? That Paul wasn't ashamed to say that I, I was actually killing the Christians. And there's something about it because in Paul's life, it wasn't just, he didn't just know that he was forgiven, but he knew that he was forgiven. You know what I mean? He could talk about it and it didn't have, it didn't have a devastating impact on his heart. It didn't destroy him. 
He could be open and honest about it because the reality of what Jesus had done and forgiving it, and not just forgiving, but he was forgiven because Jesus had truly paid for those sins. He could share that openly. There was no condemnation for Paul in his life anymore. And that needs to be true for you and us. As we share, see, not over-glorifying sin, as we share our testimonies, as we share simply had how God had appeared to us, how He'd shown us that we were truly blind and that we need Him. See, your testimony is personal and people listen to it. Sometimes you just share your story. You don't have to have all the verses memorized. You don't have to know the Romans road, but just sharing with people. But if we were to summarize Paul's account, what Paul is saying so far in this chapter, I think we could summarize it this way, right? Paul was saying that I was the religious one. I was part of the mob. I was in your shoes. That was me. I was persecuting Christians just like even now. You want to tear me and you want to persecute me. But I I was self-righteous. I was acceptable in my own eyes because I was devout I knew and I kept God's law better than probably any of you he could say. But the Lord appeared to me, opening my understanding and to see my need that my sins must be forgiven and covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. But see, why? We need to ask ourselves this question. Why did, why did that landmine go off? Why was it the Gentiles? Why would, why when he said that Jesus, excuse me, the Lord sent me to the Gentiles to preach and to share about Jesus, why did it explode for the, for the religious elite of that time? That's, that's the group that's coming against Paul. So in, in verses 22 all the way down through, and we're not going to exposit all of it this morning, but down through chapter 23, verse 10, we see the response of the Jewish mob. The, we can add a, a nice adjective there, the explosive response of the mob. And a couple questions that we'll answer. What detonated the mob's anger? Well, we already talked about it, right? We already know what word it was, what keyword it was. It was Gentile. I was sent to the Gentile. But why? We see, we have to put ourselves in the religious group's shoes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees' shoes, and ask ourselves, what would make them so angry? And by the way, Gentiles just simply means anybody who's not a Jew. Anybody who's not of the Jewish heritage, who wasn't born Jew, who wasn't raised Jewish, who wasn't um, one of God's chosen people, an Israelite, everybody else is a Gentile. So all of that, all, all of those people. Now, go back again, look in chapter 21 at verses 20 through 21. Let's read there. I don't want to miss this. Because this is when Paul first arrived in Jerusalem, and he's there meeting with the church leaders. Look at what they said. They say in verse 20, And when he had heard it, excuse me, when they had heard it, speaking of all that the Lord was doing through Paul in these Gentile churches, they glorified the Lord and they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying, They ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the, to the customs. That was what, that's the whole context. That's why Paul went into the temple to begin with, remember? To go and to take these other um, Jews with them to complete the vow. That's when they were mistaken, those other Jews, for Gentiles. And the mob got angry in the first place. See, this is why they were mad at Paul. This is essentially what Paul is saying. One pastor put it this way. He says, in saying that um, he was sent to the Gentiles, Paul was suggesting that the Gentiles could be made right with God without first submitting to the law in Jewish circumcision. In effect, Paul was claiming divine approval for the idea that Jews and Gentiles could have equal status before God. This message collided head-on with the blindness, the pride, and the prejudice of the Jews. So do you see that? Paul saying, God had sent me, God called me to go to the Gentiles, because there's no more Jews and Gentiles. This wall, this division between the Jews and Gentiles has been broken down. And now I'm to go and I'm to share Christ with them. And so 
he, conti- he also says this more in Ephesians chapter 2. Put a marker here. Go over to Ephesians chapter 2. And Paul's writing to one of those Gentile churches, the church in Ephesus. And there in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 11 through 18. Look what Paul says again about this division between the Jew and the Gentile. In verse 11, he says, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in Himself one new man from the two, thus making peace that He might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Let's summarize this. Let's give a little bit of a background, kind of synopsis. Let's start to tie all this together. Remember uh, earlier how we were looking at the past few weeks, how um, there was this court of the Gentiles at the temple. The, the Gentiles couldn't actually go into the, into the temple proper itself, but there was this court of the Gentiles. That, that was the place. That's where they could go. They were permitted to go there. And this wall in that court separated the court of the Gentiles and the Jews. There's that separation. But the Jews were angry at Paul for supposedly bringing Gentiles into the temple. But why? See, for the Jews, there was a difference between them and the Gentiles. The word has, um, remember, he called Abraham. This is back in Genesis. God had first called Abraham. Abraham was a Gentile. He was worshiping other gods, if you go and if you read Genesis. And God had called Abraham. And God had promised Abraham that through you, Abraham, I will make a great nation through you. And through your seeds, that the, the, uh, through your seed, that, that all of the earth will be blessed. Remember? And so, all that, so we see through Abraham and all of his descendants, each one, there's one particular descendant of Abraham who was this promise, who this promised seed continued to be carried through. And all that, all that being pointed, this seed eventually was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And it was through um, Abraham's descendants that the Jewish nation, right, the 12 um, tribes, the 12 sons of uh, Jacob or of Israel, were established. This was God's nation, God's chosen people, this nation that God had promised Abraham. And God said that through you, Israel, that you're to be a light. You're to be this light on a hill. You're to show the rest of the world who I am. You're to testify of me. See, the Lord gave Israel, if you go back and you kind of summarize the whole Old Testament, the law which they were to keep. And in keeping the law, it was a twofold witness. The law was to be a witness to the world that these people are different. That they're different because they're mine, the Lord says. I've called them out of the world and they live differently. They act differently. They eat differently. They worship differently because of me. So there's this outward witness of the law, but there's also an internal witness to the Jews themselves. That that through the law God had given them was His perfection his standard and it was to be a witness to the israel and to the jews that they couldn't hold that they couldn't keep that standard and god said you you break the law but i will make a substitute you can come and when you break the law when you don't fulfill it come and to bring a lamb to the temple remember there they were to go and they were to confess their sin placing their their hand on, on the sacrifice and what did the priest do he came and he slit his throat and they watched the, the animal, the sacrifice, bleed out. It was bloody. There was death. Because that's what breaking God's law has done. So it was a witness externally of, man, guys, you have, uh, you have not kept this standard. And there's one 
who has called you. There is a witness internal to them. But what happened to the Jews? They were to look forward to the coming land, Lamb, the promised Messiah, the promised seed, Jesus. But remember that they became blind. They became blind because of their pride, because of their self-righteousness. They started to trust in how they could, in their eyes, keep the law. And it became now not that the law was a witness, but the law was this exclusivity that, that I can keep this and look at the Gentiles, they don't. I have been given this law, the Gentiles haven't. See, and they started to trust in the, their God, their salvation became the law itself, not the law giver whom the law pointed to. Do you see that? Their blindness had set in. That was the reality for this. They missed Christ. When Jesus came, that's why when Jesus, even though he broke the, in their eyes, he broke the law, he broke the Sabbath, but Jesus was the fulfillment of the Sabbath. It was Jesus whom the Old Testament pointed to. It says that the Messiah would come and he would heal the lame, right? That he would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. That, that the mute would be able to speak. They missed it. And yet, even just like Paul, who was on trial for speaking of Jesus and the gospel going to the Gentiles, it was a mob, remember who put Jesus, that was saying, crucify him crucify him interesting to see all of this see if we're to summarize this though how how does this connect back in let's ask ourselves the question again why did the mob explode when the word gentile was mentioned because paul was saying that you had rejected the gospel of jesus christ you had rejected the gospel and the gospel is not in you keeping the gospel is not you keep the law The gospel is not that you're circumcised, that you have this thing done to your body to to save you, but it's that Jesus Christ has come and he has fulfilled the law and that he's made it available not only for the Jews to be saved, but that the entire world might be saved by looking to Jesus and what he did on the cross. And that caused that explosion. You tracking with me? Okay, so let's keep going. Keep that there. They exploded. They exploded because they rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then we need to ask ourselves, okay, I know that they exploded. I see their reaction, but why? I'm realizing, okay, it's because they were furious at the gospel of Jesus Christ, but why would they be so angry about it? Why would they be so mad? Why would they be so zealous, so adamant about it? See, did you catch in verse, back in Acts chapter 22. In verse 22, let's read it again. And they listened to him until this word. And then they raised their voices and they said, away with this fellow from the earth. What are they saying? They're saying, kill him. He shouldn't be on the earth anymore. This He can't live. We can't let it go any longer. Away with this fellow. See, this reveals who, for the Jews, for this religious, um, the, this religious group, although they were, uh, they were very moral, they had the law of God, they worshiped God, they were in the temple, this reveals the explosive response, their true God. It re, it, it reveals their true idol, what they were looking to to save them. And that's for them, it was their own self-righteousness. It was for them, their morality. It was for them, their ability to be better than another person. That's what, that's what their savior was. In their eyes, that's what made them acceptable. And now, again, think about it. Just think for a minute. Paul is saying that it's not about the law anymore. It's not about you keeping the law. That's why the Gentiles can be saved. It's not about your, um, your Jewish heritage. He's not saying that the Jews aren't unimportant. That's not what he's saying at all. But he's saying that that doesn't save you. And all that, again, put yourself in, in, in this religious mobs group. What do you mean? That's my everything. That's what makes me acceptable. That's why I'm going, that's why I'm accepted in God's eyes. That's what, again, all of us know that there's something unacceptable about us. All of us know that we have sinned, whether we admit it to, or not. Whether we call it sin or not. We all know that. And for them, it was under attack. Their salvation, 
They don't call it an idol, and many of us even today don't call these idols, but it's what they were trusting in for salvation was at threat. That's why they exploded. See, they they were protecting what was most valuable to them. They responded that way. And we might even say that an idol is anything that saves us, anything in our heart of hearts that we say makes me acceptable other than what Jesus has done on the cross. Many of us say that we don't have idols, but we still do. Many of us do. We don't worship little Buddhas, right? Um, when, when my brother-in-law went to, uh, he went to Nepal at the, in the beginning of the summer and he came back and, uh, he brought, he brought Olivia and I some tea and he brought Brit like this little Nepali outfit and he, he refuses to wear it. I'm still trying to work on that. Maybe one day I can get it on him. Um, but when he brought us this tea and he left the bag there, like he was, um, the, the bag that he brought it home in and I guess the shop owner, uh, must have given it in. And I was, I was going through it uh, one or two days later because I was going to throw the bag away, you know, putting the tea in our kitchen somewhere. And in the bottom of this bag is this little idol. And I texted Kai, and I'm like, what are you doing, bro? Why are you bringing back idols? Uh, and, he, and he's like, I had no idea that the, the shop owner snuck it in there. This little tiny, like, stone-carved thing. He snuck it in the bag, and it was real funny. Um, so I, I, when I was on my way to work, I threw it in the garbage can outside, like not in a bag, just threw it in the can. And the next morning uh, was trash day, and then um, we brought the cans up. And uh, next day, Olivia, my wife, is walking out in the, in the driveway, and she's like, the idol's still in the driveway. And I'm like, <laughs> it was sitting there. And I was like, don't be that freaked out. Our tra- trash cans, we need new trash cans. They have, like, they're, like, all broken. And I was like, I just threw it in there. I didn't even put it in a bag. And then uh, <laughs> it was funny. The next week, it was still there again. After I put it in, I'm like, okay, well, I'll just put it in the bag this time so she doesn't get freaked out. But, but we don't worship idols like, like the little stone idols that we think about, maybe from, um, the, the other part of the world, right? What we would say aren't as sophisticated as us Americans, as us in the United States. But we still have idols, don't we? We still have idols. Many of us even can, can come, I would say, uh, don't be offended by this, just you, you think about it. The older generation, kind of, especially in this area, there's that heavy, um, a, a Catholic background, right? This religious, the more, the, the moral, the morality, the religion. And much, much, many were like the Jews at this time. That's, yes, I, I go to church and I never miss. Or if I miss, I, I pay, I give money. Or I do X, Y, Z. And we're trusting that, thinking that we're saved, but we're blind. Realizing we've missed the Messiah. We've missed Christ. And see, many a times, when those things are attacked in our lives, we explode at them. Now, there's the other extreme. Some of you like, some of you may be sitting here, and you might be saying exactly why religion is no good. See how, see how the religious people are? They want to put people to death. They're angry. They just yell and make big scenes. And we need to be more loving. If there's true God, then why isn't there love like that? And they're, they, they push away from, quote-unquote, religion or, or the Lord. But then, oh, you have the other side, don't you? You have those who say, well, I want nothing to do with religion. But then unknowingly, they still in their heart of hearts have their own idols. See, and many today, this can be just, I'm just generalizing, okay, so don't be mad, and, and I, I get it. But that's more of what we would, the, the younger generations, right? Man, I, I just, I want to do what's right in my own eyes. I, I just, you know, I want to love whom I love, and I want to, I want to do what I, I, I whatever I want to do. And, and those religions, that, that idol in that, that sense isn't religion, isn't morality, but it can even become, um, my own individualism, right? I'm going to be so unique that that's makes, that makes me acceptable. That makes me different. That's what makes me acceptable more than everybody else. It could be, you can make anything out of an idol, even very good things. It could be a job. If I have that status, if I have that job title, then I, my, my heart will be satisfied. My heart will be complete. If I made that much money, my heart will be complete. If this many people like me, if I had this position... If my church was this side, if I had that ministry, whatever it is, can be an idol. See, and oftentimes, even 
Um, for, for those of you who are saved, right, we, we can have functioning idols. Where, yes, I, I'm trusting for my salvation and the finished work of Christ, but when this functioning idol that my heart is trusting in, even to make me acceptable, when those are under attack, then I get angry at my wife. What do you mean I, for me, right, what do you mean I can't work today? I want to go get a project done. See, it could be turned into work, getting something done. That makes me acceptable. Do you see this? I'm trying to lay this out. I know that I spent a lot of time on it, but I think it's so subtle and so important because that's why they exploded. And so even in society today, even when we have what we can even think about these two groups, you have the religious, more religious, more moral, more conservative, and the the non-conservatives, the liberals, right? They're exploding at each other. And if you meet somebody, if you're talking to somebody from the other side and you step on that landmine, man... They explode, and that's why. That's in the heart of hearts what's going on. And that's what Paul's saying here. That's what he's showing us. Even, But do you notice how insidious these idols are? And we don't even realize it oftentimes. See, we think we're with that group, even the mob itself. Yes, let's kill Paul. He's coming against our salvation. But why did we read chapter 23, verses 1 through 10? Did you see what happened to the mob themselves? What did Paul say? He's on trial there, right? And he realizes that the mob is, that there's two even more um, specific groups within that group. There's the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And what does he say? Well, it's because, um, let me me read it. Um, He says in verse, in chapter 23, he says in verse 6, Men and brethren, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. See, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't. The Sadducees didn't believe in angels. And you see, that's, that's why they're sad, you see. Because they didn't believe in... Come on, that was good. They didn't believe in the hope and the resurrection, right? And so Paul recognized this. Paul throws that landmine out there, and they explode upon each other. And they start to divide. They start to come against each other. Okay, so we see all of this. There's these extremes. So we see how it's a warning for us today. If there's idols in our hearts, what are you trusting in? What makes you acceptable? Behind it all, just be honest with yourself. What makes you feel acceptable? Is it anything other than what Jesus Christ has done? And I pray that the Lord would move our hearts away from that idol, that he would reveal it, and that we would come to Christ. But here's, here's what we need to do. We need to ask, um, what do we learn from Paul? Because remember, we, we started off, if you look at Paul's testimony in verses 1 through 6, Paul says, I was the mob. I was there. I was one of you. So we need to ask ourselves, how did Paul go from being the one who was crucifying and persecuting Christians to now this man who is saved and who is testifying of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because for us, we need to know that, right? How do, how do I move my heart? How do I become from that to that? Well, again, we mentioned it earlier, but the Lord appears to Paul. And, and the Lord revealed himself to Paul. Remember what Ananias said in chapter 22, verse 14? He says that you would see the just one. That you would see Jesus. That you would see Jesus who is not only just, meaning he's perfectly just, he's perfectly righteous, he was only righteous in God's eyes, but he's also the justifier. See, it was Jesus who perfectly kept God's law, but it's Jesus who also took the penalty of our sin upon himself. And it's Jesus who makes us acceptable. It's Jesus by whom we are saved. Just as in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says it there, for he made Jesus... Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. See, Paul was humbled when he was blinded that he might truly see Jesus. And Jesus, think about this, Jesus gave Himself on the cross, as one pastor said, to save me from my sin and to deliver me, to give me worth, acceptance, salvation, that we were looking for in idols. 
See, the idol will never deliver us and never give us what we are truly and ultimately looking for and need, which is the forgiveness of sin. Jesus came, and Jesus died for that, for what we're looking for in the idols, in our heart of hearts, whether we admit it or not, whether we say it or not. It's Jesus who came and did that. See, you humbly in grace accept what Jesus has done on the cross to save you. You experience the love and the justice of God to know that there's no condemnation in Christ. Paul experienced this in his self-righteousness. The idol in his heart was defeated. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says that Paul risked his life to defeat the idols, to share and to defeat the idols. But Jesus gave his life to defeat the idols. See, it's only when God is truly our salvation that we can live a life like Paul that was changed when we truly see the Lord. And so we need to ask ourselves, have you truly seen the Lord? Do you see Jesus? For those who maybe aren't saved, you're trusting in something else. It's it's what Jesus has done on the cross. Even for those who are saved, right? Has my heart moved under some other functioning idol? Because I want to be like, and and, and you want to be like Paul, I'm sure. No, okay, I'm saved. I know that. I'm trusting in Christ. But I want to live a life like Paul. I want to live and I want to love those who hate me like Paul did. Well, how do we do that? See, Paul was more concerned about the Jewish mob who wanted to kill him when he shared the gospel with them, he loved them even more than his own life. There are others who are opposed to you politically. There are others who are opposed to you. They're angry for whatever reason at you. They have something to come against you. They don't like you, your worldview. But God calls us to share with them because they aren't saved. See, Jesus loved you. Jesus loved me when we were enemies that he might save us. And God calls us to love a world that is divided and that is torn apart today. And true love will create the unity our world is looking for and that our world is lacking. See, but that love is not to the exclusion of truth. Because Paul was willing to say, I will, no, don't take me away. Don't put me where there's safety. I need to tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. This mob needs to know. But when Paul shared, he didn't just say, you guys are great and I love you and I don't want to tell you hard things. Paul shared the truth, didn't he? That's the other part of it. We must share the truth. See, we don't have to love to the exclusion of truth. To love to the exclusion of truth is not love. It's self-love. It's not true love for another. True love won't, won't lie to soften the blow, but it speaks truth because love lies behind the truth. See, we need to tell others how Jesus can forgive them, how Jesus has died for their sins, and everything else that they're looking to and that they're trusting in will fail them, won't give them what they're looking for. Even the Jewish mob still rejecting the truth, Paul shared with them. See, we might be rejected, but we don't need to be moved in that rejection because you're accepted in Christ. Do you see that? And see, even that's, that's what it's for us. That's how we apply for it. And this is not morality, right? But this is all as a result of what Jesus has done in saving us at the cross. But I want to finish it here, kind of tying it all together. Not only that, but we know that we have a hope. Again, read with me Acts twenty-two fourteen. When Ananias is talking to Paul, he says this, For they came to the... Ch- oh, wait, I'm sorry. Um, Acts 22... I was reading 23, 14. Uh, 22.14, Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will, that you should see the just one, and that you would that you hear the voice of his mouth. Again, we referenced this earlier, but how are we talking about this? Kind of summarizing this all together. The religious were blind, but they didn't realize they were blind. Paul was blinded that he, he although he was a religious leader, the Lord blinded him that he might truly see Jesus for who he was. Well, notice again, if you go back and if you read, um, I'll read it to you, but in John chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, remember that when we were going through that account earlier, that we left it off after Jesus had healed the blind man and the religious leaders came 
they said, who was it? And, and he says, Jesus. And he's rejected. And he was excommunicated. He was thrown out of the temple. Well, we pick it back up in verse 35 of John t- chapter 9. It says, Jesus had heard that, that they cast him out. And when he had found him, Jesus said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. See, the blind man knew God's will, just like Anna and I said that, that you would know God's will. The blind man knew God's will. Ultimately, that he would be healed, that he would see Jesus for who he is. That's who what ultimate healing is. So we're not saying that the Lord's will is that every, every sickness be healed. That's not what, at all. But that our deepest need, our d- greatest sickness, sin would be healed. He knew that. Not only that, but see, the blind man heard the voice of Christ. Think about it. It was Jesus, when Jesus had come to him, and, and, and he spit on the mud and he put that on his eyes. See, Jesus was gone by the time he came back from the pool. He never saw Jesus at that time. He only heard his voice. But then the blind man now, after he was rejected by even the religious leaders, it's how sweet it is that Jesus comes and he finds him to come and to talk with him. And what was that like for that first time when that blind man saw his face? The one who had touched me. The one who had humbly had, you know, applied that mud to my eyes. The one who had healed me. He now saw him face to face. Even though he was rejected, see, he was outcast by the ones who should have accepted him. Because he was with, yes, the Messiah had healed me. This is who he was. But he was rejected because of that. See, Jesus came to him personally and was with him. And I love this. What a hope for us today. Even though we might face rejection from the world as we go and as we share Christ, we have one who just comes and who we can look face to face. And our ultimate hope being what Revelation 22 verses 3 through 4 says, and there shall be no more curse, the will of God, right? That, that the ultimate sickness, sin, be healed when we're with him in heaven. We're free from the presence of sin altogether. But he goes on and, and, and but it says that, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. So we know that one day, even though we might face rejection here on earth, that one day we will see him face to face. So Father, we thank you this morning um, that you have done that, God. We thank you that you have would come and that you have were drawn us by your spirit, God, Jesus, even how you appeared to Paul. Lord, we trust that even this morning that you're doing that by your Holy Spirit. Lord, you're revealing yourself. Lord, so would you help us, Lord, to truly see this morning? Lord, maybe it's there's those who have never trusted in Christ. Lord, they think that they see, they think that they understand. Lord, would you help them to truly see? Lord, and for others, God, would you help us to see um the hope that's ahead of us, Lord, and not to fall um, into despair because rejection of our world that would cause us not to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, Lord, let it be such a reality for us that, Lord, we don't care what the world says. We don't care whether we're accepted, whether we're rejected. Lord, we just need to tell others about the hope that we have in Christ. And so we thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.